Well, folks, Majin Moy Deepsha, Shaw Jerry Adams Irish. August Sean Uncle Berla on a week is a long time in politics. So Jerry Adams here crippled with hay fever. And just reflecting on the old saying that a week is a long time in politics. And really the blog which I usually base these podcasts on is a bit outdated now because in my blog and I'll deal with some of it now I concentrate on Boris Johnson while of course he had a bad week Edwin Poots had a worse week so why did our illustrious, esteemed, venerable British Prime Minister, Mr. Johnson, have a bad week? Well, there was a G7 summit in Cornwall. But even before that began, the media were dominated by reports that the American government, the US government, had issued a démarche to the British government in advance of President Biden's arrival in England. Now, I must admit, I've never heard of it, the marsh. And during my years of negotiations with the Irish, British, US and other governments, it was not a piece of diplomatic speak I'd ever come across. Apparently, it's a formal diplomatic note or memo which expresses the grave concern of one side about the behaviour of the other. Sort of like a a yellow card, I suppose, in in football. But it's not something that that one ally normally issues to another ally. And it's certainly not something that usually finds its way into the media. So there's no precedent for the stern message of concern delivered by the US government to the British government about Britain's Brexit policy, its threat to the Irish Protocol and the Good Friday Agreement. And of course, it did bend its way into the media. Some media reports after the summit reported that US President Biden had a candid conversation with Johnson. Jake Sullivan, who was President Biden's National Security Advisor said, All I'm going to say is that they did discuss the issue. The President, naturally, and with deep sincerity, encouraged the Prime Minister to protect the Good Friday Agreement and the progress made under it. The specific beyond that, I'm not going into. The G7 is made up of the governments of the USA, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the United Kingdom. And the EU is invited to participate as a guest. And there are a number of other uh, guest uh, states. I I recall, I think, in the news report, seeing our friend Cyril Ramaphosa, the president of South Africa, in attendance. So there was a wide-ranging agenda, covered everything from the pandemic, including the distribution of vaccines, 
climate change and the crisis that's ongoing there, and the upcoming UN Summit on Climate, which is to be held later this year in Glasgow. And the summit was intended by Boris Johnson to be a showcase for Britain as it seeks to assert its leadership as a global economic power. But instead, it turned into a PR debacle with the succession of G7 leaders privately and some publicly suggesting that the British government's policy approach to Brexit and the Irish Protocol is dishonest and untrustworthy. And to the annoyance of the British, the media spotlight, especially the international media, turned time and time again to the British attitude to Ireland and the Protocol. One after another, state and EU leaders questioned British sincerity and good faith. In a tweet, Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the EU Commission, wrote, The Good Friday Agreement on Peace in Ireland are paramount. We negotiated a protocol that preserves this, signed and ratified by Britain and the European Union. We want the best possible relations with the UK. Both sides must implement what was agreed. This, there is complete EU unity on this. Michel Barnier, who negotiated the withdrawal agreement and the protocol for the EU, put it more succinctly, I expect him, Johnson, to respect his own signature. British ministers tried to shift the focus and put the blame back onto the EU, accusing it of it being belligerent and inflexible. Repeatedly, Johnson was reminded, however, in media reports that he had lied when he claimed that the protocol would require no checks in the RSC. He was reminded also that this government, his government, tried to pass a law in the British Parliament last year that would have opened the way for his government to unilaterally tear up an international agreement. Elements of the British media were especially critical. An editorial in The Observer said, The Prime Minister's dishonest diplomacy and willingness to jeopardise Northern Ireland's stability for Brexit will greatly diminish Britain's role in the world. The threat by the British to unilaterally extend the June 30 grace periods that delay the introduction of some border checks has also angered the EU. The so-called sausage war, in the bizarre image of a stern-faced Sammy Wilson defiantly standing in front of Ulster as British, a poster, holding a handful of British sausages, was a serene moment in the midst of the current crisis. This reflects the failure of the British government to negotiate and agree a mechanism to allow for the shipment of chilled meat between Britain and the North. Some unionist politicians have been moved to make the bogus and outrageous claims that the European Union is intent on starving the people of the North. The fact is that Brexit, the withdrawal agreement and the protocol were all negotiated by Boris Johnson and his government supported by the DUP. They were warned repeatedly, including by this poor podcaster, they were warned repeatedly of the significant economic and political risks they were taking, but chose to ignore these. In a scathing criticism 
of the Johnson government, a former British ambassador to the US and the EU, Nigel Scheinwald, warned, there's no point in writing new Atlantic charters which depend on mutual trust, mutual confidence and the rule of law when you're operating as chancers. Instead of trying to calm the situation, the British chose to up the ante. Dominic Raab, the British Foreign Secretary, accused the EU of being bloody-minded and purist. Johnson threatened to suspend the protocol and invoke Article 16, which allows for other side to take unilateral action in the event of serious economic, societal or environmental difficulties. The British tried to drag the verbal row into an argument over sovereignty by wrongly claiming that President of France, Macron, had suggested that the North is a different country, a claim he did not make, though of course it is true that the North is, or at least Ireland is, a different country. And then our friend Edwin Putz sent President Macron a copy of the Good Friday Agreement. And this is the same Edwin Putz who said, the DUP campaigned against the Good Friday Agreement. It consistently opposed and never signed it or signed up for it. But since I penned those words, of course, Edwin Putz, as leader of the DUP, has had to resign. In my last week's podcast, I bid farewell, a fond farewell to Arlene Foster. This must be a record that one week later, I'm bidding farewell again and a fond farewell also to another unionist leader. We'll come back and deal with how all of this happened some other time, but it actually has been quite amazing. The spectacle of Edwin sitting with his nominee for the First Ministership, Paul Given, sitting almost alone, ourselves alone, Mara Jurter, in the chamber, while the rest of his colleagues and the rest of the party had expressed no confidence and didn't want Mr. Given to be nominated. But there you go. Uh, He was nominated and he will probably have a claim to the record of being the shortest uh, term First Minister in the history of this little part of the world. You know, if he's ever asked, what were you minister of? Or what were you minister for? He'd say, I was minister for two weeks or three weeks. And so with uh, Edmund, I said before that I liked Edmund, and I have to say, I I do. But the, the reality is, the fact is, he had to face up to the same challenges that Arlene Foster had to face up to. And if it's Jeffrey Donaldson who comes in as leader, or whoever it is who comes in as leader, they will have to face up to those same challenges. You see, the game is up, but 
some unionists know the game isn't over. And we who live here will have to continue to do our best to continuously advance change and make progress in a way that assists and helps all of the people. It was always going to be thus. It was always going to be a case of unionism when faced up to the reality of the rightful demand for equality would have to make their minds up. Unfortunately, some of them have made the wrong choice. Eventually, some of them will make the right choice. Watch this space. I also want to plug, and I do so unashamedly, the republication of Nor Meekly Serve My Time, The Hits Block Struggle, 1976 to 1981. It's been republished by Beyond the Pale Books, and it's available from Beyond the Pale itself or from the Sinn Féin bookshop or from on Ashok. And this is a book about the Hits Block Struggle written by the prisoners themselves. And Big Lornie McKeown has has done a, a great job. He and, God rest him, the late Brian Campbell and Phelan O'Hagan were the first editors of this uh, wonderful record, this account from 28 former blanket men, which was compiled secretly in the hits blocks over 30 years ago to mark the approaching 10th anniversary of the hunger strikes. And it was written at a time when the memories of the protest years were very fresh in the minds of the writers. In fact, some were still in prison from the time of the protest. Others had been released only to be re-imprisoned again. And all of them could vividly recall their experience of these years of protest. And for some, the last moments they spent with one or other of the hunger strikers. Sometimes it was a, a few words shared. Sometimes a hug or just a smile or a brief glance. No words necessary and no words adequate. I first recall reading the book when it was published in 1994. On one page, I found myself laughing out loud at some prank or other that a blanket man played on a comrade, only to turn the next page and be openly moved to tears for some poignant recollection, perhaps the death of a parent or a sibling and being refused parole or someone writing about those last moments shared with uh, a comrade. And throughout the book, the accounts of beatings, forced washes, murder searches, wing shifts, and the casual daily brutality that went on day in, day out, week in, week out, for almost five years. But this is not a book that's filled with despondency or despair. It's quite the opposite. When you when you finish it, you're left with a sense of the camaraderie that's sometimes difficult to convey or to comprehend. It's so intense. And throughout, there is a, a sense of hope. It's clear that the human spirit is raging above adversity. 
And it's a story about young men and like the story of their women comrades in Armagh, they're determined that they would not be criminalised and nor would they allow the struggle they were involved in to be criminalised. I quote, They were real. They were young. They were full of life. They were like anyone else. They were like you. The prison robbed them of their lives. We should never compound that by only recalling their deaths. The account from their friends and comrades that you are about to read, breathe life into them and make them real. You will enter into their world and form an impression of them. You will get to know them a little. So well done, Big Lorney. Well done beyond the pale books. And remember, Nur Weekly Serve My Time is available from Beyond the Pale Books, www.beyondthepalebooks.com or from www.sinfeinbookshop.com forward slash www.facebook.com forward slash on Ashok. And uh, finally, my sister Frances died this week and I want to thank everyone who reached out to our family, to her children, to her siblings, to convey condolences and solidarity. And I will tell you a wee bit about Frances in next week's uh, podcast. Just in her memory, because she loved uh, Kathleen Larkey, Thompson McCready's version of Four Green Fields and we played that as we lowered her into the grave in Milltown Cemetery. Just in honour of Frances, we'll finish with Kathleen and Four Green Fields. Okay, folks, stay well. Let's see what happens on the Stormont front. Stay safe. Slan, Ogus, Gunyiri, and Ta, Lipsha, Gulyar.
the old woman of Bear. Great is my glory, I who give birth to Cuchulain the Brave. Great is my shame, my own children have sold their mother. I am Ireland, I am lonelier than the old woman of Bear.